Welcome to the Success Scenario. I'm your host, Dustin Abrego. On the Success Scenario, we meet and hear from current LCC students, people just like you, who face adversity, why they chose LCC, and how they turn their situation into a successful one. Today, I'm joined by... Chrissy Schiebner. Chrissy, thanks so much for stopping by. We really appreciate you taking time out of your limited summer because you just got done with summer classes, right? Correct. Okay. How did we do with the summer classes? We did really well, <laughs> even though we did not think we would. <laughs> okay. Okay. What would you take this summer? This summer, I took Composition 2 with <laughs> Gloria Shirey, <laughs> and I took Art History from the Renaissance with Don Weigand, <laughs> and that one was fully self-led. Um, Composition two was ORT with lecture time with Gloria. So, and uh, composition two, I finished with a 98.47. And I don't know what the percentage comes to, but art history, I finished with 499.5 out of 512 possible points. So, so I'm hearing four point in both classes. You are hearing, okay. I'm getting another presence list. Okay, another, <laughs> another presence list. Okay, so backtracking Which, a little. Which, as you know, I'm yeah. collecting. <laughs> So I was backtracking a little bit for the rest of the people because clearly we've had some convos back and forth. Um, tell us a little about yourself, um, why you chose LCC. Is this your first time? Give us the spiel. Well, the spiel is that I will be 45 in September. I have a daughter who is turning 27 in about a week. And I married my childhood sweetheart five years ago. Um, I dropped out of high school, actually. So let's go way back. Let's go way back. I dropped out of high school when I found out I was pregnant the first time. I did have two miscarriages before my daughter. And then I had her when I was 17, just about 18. So I spent what would have been formative college years for anybody else. I spent that being a mom and getting my GED because I did want that. I wanted to be finished. Um, and then working, working a lot. And I did that for her entire childhood until she was done with school. And then I just, I don't know, I, I became disabled in 2008, which is a whole other story. I don't know if we're going to go into that today, sure. <laughs> but I became disabled in, in 2008 and it led to a lot of depression, which led to a lot of, I can't do this and I can't do that. I'm not capable of this. I'm not capable of that. Any amount of self-esteem I had, I lost when I became disabled. Um, just you feel like a bit of a failure, especially, I think, I don't want to generalize, but for me, at, at my age, I was very, very young and then told you're permanently disabled. This will affect the rest of your life. Suddenly, I couldn't work anymore. My daughter was 16 when I became permanently disabled and... I couldn't keep up with her anymore. I spent a lot of time in bed and it just, it just became a very sad situation. And it, I had no self-esteem, no self-confidence. I couldn't do anything. I wasn't capable. And then um, in 2019, my dad passed away and my dad had been to that point, my, probably my greatest cheerleader. He was always telling me what I was capable of, what I should be doing, how great I am at arguing or talking endlessly <laughs> and changing minds. And he really thought I should be a lawyer. That, that was his thing. He wanted me to be a lawyer, but that wasn't for me because I'm not in it for money at all. I just want to help people. And I do come from a very abusive background um, by the hand of my biological father. 
and I decided while my dad was still alive that I, I did want, I wanted to help kids. And my mom had been a foster mother. And so I have two siblings from the foster system. And again, social work seemed to be the way to go. Mm. And shortly before my dad passed away, because it did happen very suddenly, we had had a conversation and he again told me I should be a lawyer. And I told him, no, I think I want to do social work, but I don't, I just don't know if I can do college. And again, biggest cheerleader that I had. So constantly telling me you can do this, you can do this. And then when he when he went in 2019, very unexpectedly, um, I lost all of what he had been building up in me. It was just gone just like that. You know, he was gone. So who else believes in me? Cause I didn't. So <laughs> it, it, I needed my dad. And of course my mom did and everything like that, but he, he was, he was the one pushing me to do more with my life because I think he didn't like seeing me depressed and about my disability. He wanted me to know that I had abilities past that. And when he was gone, I just didn't feel like I had, I had a, I didn't feel like I had a reason to push for it. I mean, I'm married. I have a husband. What do I, what do I need more for? I have a daughter. I'll be a grandmother eventually. What do I need more for? And then 2020 happened, which wasn't great for my, my, my mental state as it was. Cause you know, I missed my dad very much. Um, and then in July, we decided to take one of our vacations to the Upper Peninsula. We go to, uh, that's where I'm from, more or less. I moved a lot when I was younger, but more or less, I'm a Uber. So we took a vacation to Paradise. And while we were up in Paradise um, at the cabins we were staying at, I got to meet the grandson of the owners. And he just opened up to me and he started talking to me and to my best friend about being bullied. He was about 12 at the time about being bullied in school and how, how cruel kids can be and just how it was ruining his experience in school and things like that. And he was just talking to me and talking to me. And I said something to this kid about considering college. And he said, well, why don't you? He got you. Well, Chrissy, <laughs> yep. <laughs> why don't you? This kid who's got, I mean, when you're 12, that's, that's your whole entire world crashing mm -hmm. down on you when school isn't working out. I know, I remember, I was very bullied at that age too. And I just, he was like, well, why don't you? I don't know. I don't have a good reason. Here I am trying to explain to you why you should stay in school and why you should just stick this out and that everything gets better. Why don't I? I don't have a good reason, buddy. I have no good reason to give you for that. I said, I tell you what, I'll look into it. And I'm the kind of person where if I say something to somebody, especially to a child, the last, even if I never saw him again and he wouldn't know, the mm -hmm. last thing I can do is lie to a child like that and mm -hmm. say, okay, I'll check it out, but then go home and forget it ever happened. No, that conversation is still very much in my mind. So I went home and I looked into it, talked myself out of it for almost a year, back and forth with my husband. He kept telling me that I could do whatever I set my mind to, but I didn't have my dad. You know, my, if I had had my dad, I think it would have been, yeah, do it. And okay, dad, I'm doing it right now. And that's not to take anything away from the other people in my life. They're very supportive. They're very good people. And, and they do encourage me and they do have my back and want to see me succeed. It was just something different from my dad, and I can't really explain. I think it was because, well, technically, he was my stepdad, and he came into my life, and he showed me what a, a real and loving father is like, and mm -hmm. his word and his opinion just became up here compared to most others. Again, no offense and nothing against anybody else in my life. So without him, I just kept talking myself out of it, and it didn't matter how many people told me I could do it. I just wasn't going to until I was ready. I'm a sure. little stubborn. Sure. 
this much. Right. Um, <laughs> so I finally applied and I just told myself, you know, it's going to come back and they're not going to accept me. That's, that'll be the end of that. And then I got my acceptance letter and I, cho I chose LCC to answer that question. I, I chose LCC because they did have um, a good online program. That was the biggest pull for me because I'm disabled and part of my disability is extreme anxiety disorder. So I get anxious in a car. I get anxious in public settings. I get anxious in a room full of people. All of that doesn't sound good when you're trying to go to college. So when I found out that LCC had this incredible online program, especially since 2020, I think that they even, they went a little harder into their online program when that happened. I decided that this was where I was going to attempt to go because I think it would hurt less to be turned down from a community college than a university, sure. first of all. <laughs> um, but it, it, that was basically my attitude was I'll apply. They're going to reject me and I'm, I can get out of this now and I don't have to have faith in myself. I don't have to push myself anymore. And then they accepted me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you would have thought that, that Harvard had accepted. I just, Words are hard. It's early and I'm drinking my coffee, but yeah. you would have thought that Harvard accepted me. I, I cried a lot. And then after about a half an hour of accepting that I'd been accepted, I called my husband and I cried to him. And then I called my best friend and then I called my daughter and then I called my mom. I just, I was like, I'm going to college. This is happening. Yeah. And then I heard about placement tests. <laughs> and I freaked out again. I was like, this is another chance for me to get out of this because I don't test well. And I didn't test well. I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I shouldn't say that. I tested okay, having been out of school for as long as I had been out of school. Mm -hmm. Keeping in mind, I will be turning 45 next month. And I dropped out of high school officially when I was 15. So that's 30 years of no school. Mm -hmm. And I did my placement tests with very little attempt at brushing anything up. And I didn't do terrible but I'm a perfectionist hmm. and stubborn hmm. and these things do not mix well together. And I decided instead of retesting, which I did have the opportunity to do that I should refresh. So I went in with some prerequisites for writing and for math and my writing is all done now. And I did outstanding at all of it. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. And I'm going to be a social worker. Yeah, like I'm going to be a social worker yeah. with an emphasis on art. I just am. And it's crazy to me. That is quite a journey of how you got here and the meaning that it has behind it. And like, I can tell that like you're a real person and you care about people. Um, and as much as we try to care about other people, sometimes caring about ourselves to be able to elevate the impact and the scope that we can actually affect other people can be really challenging. Um, so did you say that this was your first time at college then, or just college you thought was always outside of your reach of what things looked like for you? Both are a yes. This is my first time in college mm -hmm. and I have always, always felt that it was out of reach. Even when I was in high school, when I was younger, mm -hmm. I didn't have any plans to go to college. I was, I just didn't think I was intelligent enough for it. Mm. Even then. Mm. So self-selecting yourself out, thinking that oh, you yeah. weren't, didn't belong, weren't a part of it. And then now that you like got into it, you're like, oh, like 
I'm awesome. This is my place. These are the people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. finally found my place. Yeah. Yeah. You deserve to be here for sure. Um, so what is it about social work that speaks to you? I mean, obviously you spoke about children and other things and like helping people and you have this great story um, moving forward. What is it though that like gives you that sense of fulfillment on the inside about working with people, especially children, as you've commented on, um, that like really means that part to you? change is, is the motivating factor. Mm. I want to see the foster system change. It is, it's broken. <laughs> it's broken. It's disturbing. I mean, I mentioned I came from a, an abusive household. Um, and not on my mother's part, by the way, I would like to make that very clear for anybody mm -hmm. listening, not sure. my mom. Um, but he, the biological was very abusive and, um, there wasn't anything in court records. So mm. there wasn't anything that stopped a foster care license which means more children went into his care mm. and were abused again. Um, and then I mentioned having adopted siblings. The oldest of those came from another abuse, a very sadly abusive household. And again, biological father was, there is court documents mm -hmm. and, um, he was given a foster care license and brought in more girls and abused mm. more girls. Mm. That has to stop. There has to be, there has to be a way when we're taking kids away from a bad situation, there has to be something that stops us from putting them into another bad situation. Mm. And I want to be that line. Mm. I want to be that mm. buffer to make sure that kids go from hell into their forever home with fathers who should be like fathers, like I got for my stepdad with mothers who love them and don't necessarily envy them or, you know, cause that happens a lot. I think especially mothers of daughters, it can happen a lot, especially learning psychology and things like that mm -hmm. now because I'm getting smarter, um, <laughs> which is dangerous for everybody. <laughs> uh, but it, there, there is something there for like a, a woman giving birth to this fresh, new, beautiful woman. You know, mm -hmm. you've given birth to another woman and that you are going to compete with that woman now for the rest of your life. And she will always be younger than you. She will always be prettier than you. She will always be fresher than you. And if you don't have your own healthy ego, like you can't handle that. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to kids, girls in the foster system that have problems with their mothers, a lot of time it is that there's a resentment or or something, there's a connection missing with their mothers mm -hmm. too. So it's not just, it's not just fathers that make a household sure. uncomfortable or unsafe. It, mothers do it too, sadly. I just, I just really want to be that, that line for kids mm -hmm. where I, I just want to know that either we can do, th we can get therapy, we can figure something out to get you back into the home. As long as, you know, we're not talking about the worst of abuse, but if it's a neglect situation or something where you can just educate and you can get everybody back together and that's the optimal ending for absolutely. I would advocate for that if that's the best interest of the child, but if the best interest of the child is a new home, that new home shouldn't be another dangerous place. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be another unsafe place. It should absolutely be a, a place that the system has already defined as a safe space for you to go to. Mm -hmm. So how, how is that getting through the cracks? 
when in my personal life, I know of it two extreme situations Mm -hmm. and I'm one person. If I talk to a group of 10 people, how many of those people would also have stories of extreme situations for the foster system? I think sadly more than half of them would. Did I go off track? No, 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 you're fine. No, no. (laughs) I asked, Hey, what are you passionate about? So like I, I presented that. So you're, you're, you're right on track. You're totally fine. It's the Um, kids. It really is. I need, I need to make sure that they have, I mean, when you have the optimal growing environment, you, I think become a better person, character, Mm -hmm. uh, motivation, Mm -hmm. trying to become something and somebody to change the world. When you, when you have that proper upbringing, whatever it looks like, it's not cookie cutter, but if you have a proper upbringing where there's the right ingredients, the right amount of love and the right amount of discipline, because it is part of it, mm-hmm. but it needs to be appropriate. You know, the right amount of encouragement and support, all of that mixes together and gives you a human being who goes into the world feeling like they're capable of something mm-hmm. versus me who went out into the world thinking they were not capable of anything. Mm-hmm. I grew up feeling that way and I went into the world feeling that way. I raised my daughter feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Sure, I sure didn't raise her to feel that way about herself. Mm-hmm. And until now, getting a chance to look back, of course I wouldn't raise her like that. I want her to feel like the world is her oyster. But then why is the world not my oyster? Mm -hmm. Why is it also not okay for me to feel Mm -hmm. like I can do all these things? So I don't don't know where I'm going with this, but apparently I had to change my attitude about myself to get here. You know, I really, I really did. And I know we've talked about this before, but our first meeting, one of the, the, the first things you said to me was take age out of it. Mm-hmm. Your age has nothing to do with this. You're certainly not the oldest student we've ever had, and nope. you, you will never be the oldest student we've nope. ever had. So get over it. Age has nothing to do with it. And I don't know how long it took for me, honestly. It was a couple more conversations with you after that, and in still in my private life would still say things about, Oh, I'm 44 years old. I don't know if I can do this. I'm so tired. I've got so many responsibilities that 44 years old, 44. And then finally I started yelling at myself, take your age out of it. Just take the age out of it and then yell at yourself. And I'm like, I don't have any excuses. (laughs) I can do this. So Mm -hmm. I mean, that is more, it started to turn into that. And then like I told you before, I have the, I have notes from that first meeting and it was take your age out of it. You deserve to be here. You belong here. Hmm. And those were the notes I took, and they are still on my bulletin board right by my desk <laughs> to this day. And I look at them all the time, and I remind myself, yes, I do deserve to be here. I believe it more now. Hmm. After, I mean, after first semester, I still believed it for sure. But this summer semester, that's no joke. That is fast. Yeah. And online, when, when it's fully online too, that yeah. is fast, and you are in charge. You have to have self-discipline you have to have the desire to get it done you have to make time for it nobody's telling you be in your seat at this time every day you've got to do that yourself you've got and if you don't you've got to stay up till two three o'clock in the morning because you didn't get it done mm-hmm. it, I definitely now after sec, my second semester and having that second semester have been a double paced summer semester my confidence is up there, probably <laughs> like, to the detriment of everyone yeah. else. But my self-confidence is up there. I can do this and I can do this well. Thank you for joining us on the Success Scenario. 
My name's Dustin Abrego. Join us next time when we talk to Chrissy for the conclusion of this episode as we talk about the positive change in her life and how she's going to help children in the future. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to the success scenario. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime online at lccconnect.org. The success scenario is a program dedicated to inspiring students towards a path of success. I'm Dustin Abrego, and if you're a current LCC student with a great story to share or know someone with a story to share, connect with me on Twitter or at LinkedIn at Dustin Abrego, A-B-R-E-G-O. Until next time, success starts with you. Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that help to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Michigan residents age 25 or older may qualify for Michigan Reconnect, a program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. Reconnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu reconnect for more information. Attention men under the age of 35. You know what really impresses the ladies? When a guy has a few drinks and later gets pulled over for buzz driving, that could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. There goes let's grab dinner and a movie. Oh, I know. You drive more carefully when you're buzzed. You've proven that hundreds of times. A woman admires that kind of confidence. And you've practiced how to speak if a cop does pull you over. Slowly, clearly, and politely like, good evening, officer. A woman admires that kind of foresight. And what woman doesn't find it adorable that you call it buzzed even though the law calls it drunk? You could kiss $10,000 goodbye, along with any chance of having a girlfriend. Because nothing says, I'm a catch, more than a guy who lives in his parents' basement and calls it my place. Buzzed, busted, and broke. Because buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Thank you for listening to LCC Connect. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I host a show called The Safety Plan. The Safety Plan is about the latest cyber scams and how to avoid them. You can catch The Safety Plan here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. Lansing Community College's dual enrollment program offers the opportunity for qualified high school students to earn college credit while working towards their high school diploma. Dual enrollment lets students receive educational advancement in areas where the student's interest is displayed, especially in courses and academic areas not available in the student's high school. To find out more information about dual enrollment, visit lcc.edu. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Bob Myers from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. In 1836, Ohio and Michigan nearly went to war. 
The conflict, dubbed the Toledo War, ended in a short-term defeat, but long-term victory for Michigan. Ohio had entered the Union in 1803 with a poorly defined northern border. Michigan, then a territory, claimed a border with Ohio that ran straight east from the southern tip of Lake Michigan. That left a 10-mile wide strip of land claimed by both Michigan and Ohio. Well, no one paid much attention to the discrepancy until the 1830s, when Michigan desired to become a state. The so-called Toledo Strip included Maumee Bay, a harbor where the Maumee River emptied into Lake Erie. Both Michigan and Ohio wanted that harbor and the valuable farmland in the Toledo Strip. Michigan had administered the Strip and had a stronger legal claim to the land. Ohio, however, was a state. That meant that it had congressmen and two senators, whereas Michigan, as a territory, had none. Michigan cast off its territorial government in 1835, declared itself a state, and created a state government. It elected a representative and two senators and sent them to Washington. There they cooled their heels in the balcony, for the House and Senate refused to seat them. Tempers flared and Governor Stevens Mason of Michigan and Robert Lucas of Ohio called out their respective militias. Hundreds of armed men postured along the border, ready for battle. President Andrew Jackson, seeking re-election in 1836, had no desire to offend Ohio and lose its electoral votes. His administration proposed a compromise. Michigan could cede its claim to the Toledo Strip and in exchange received the western three-quarters of the Upper Peninsula. Michigan rejected the compromise. Then the federal government discovered a treasury surplus and proposed to give every state a share. Michigan, bankrupt from the cost of paying its militia, would receive nothing because it was not a state. In a second convention in December 1836, Michigan accepted the compromise. Michigan joined the Union in January 1837. In the end, the Upper Peninsula's vast riches of timber, copper, and iron more than made up for the loss of the Toledo Strip. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by MichiganHistoryMagazine.org. Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's Premier College what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The LCC Library empowers the Lansing community to learn, teach, and discover. Located on the second and third floors of the Technology and Learning Center at the corner of Capitol and Shiawassee on LCC's downtown campus, the LCC Library's ambient spaces are available to the public for work, study, or quiet personal projects. In addition, those with memberships at collaborating libraries are free to check out materials from the LCC Library's collections. For more information, visit lcc.edu library. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma. 
not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply prior credits toward their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash youbelong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore the creativity happening in the LCC galaxy, in our classrooms and on campus, and connecting the work of our stars with our community. For over 20 years, LCC's Human Services Program has required a two-semester practicum of its majors. This practicum places students with a wide variety of community agencies where they gain invaluable hands-on real-life experience. Today, I'm really excited because we have a group of guests in the studio, plus one on the phone, to talk about this program and what it means for the agencies and for the students who participate. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome first on the phone, Janet Marion on LCC's faculty for just shy of 20 years and who serves as LCC's Human Services Program Director, where her work includes placing students in the agencies. Thank you, Janet, for being here. Thank you, Melissa. Joining us to share her experience as a practicum student is Suwinde Constance Ye, who is pursuing a number of degrees, her bachelor's degree, after having accomplished quite a few, and she can tell us about those. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. Um, so my name is Sawin Beye. Um, I've been at LCC for over six, seven years. But um, during my um, during my study here, I was able to get my general associate. I got my certificate of achievement and certificate of completion. And I just graduated with my associate degree in human services. Um, transferring to the university, Siena Heights University, to get my bachelor's degree in community and human services. Congratulations. That's a wonderful uh, uh, progression of accomplishment one day. Thank you so much. Yeah. It wasn't an easy journey, especially as a mom and working going to school. Yeah, it was a tough journey, but through the grace of God, I made it through. Absolutely. Do you have young children? Have they been supportive of you? Have they understood what their mom is doing? Um, I have a four-year-old, really. 
I mean, she was very supportive because working 12 hours um, in a hospital, especially during the COVID time, getting 45 minutes of sleep before going to work for 12 hours and then doing practicum, it was tough. But I'm grateful for my husband and even the instructor, Janet. She she did extremely well because at one point I just couldn't do it. Health-wise, um, I wasn't focusing. Um, I had to talk to her and tell her, I can't do this. Having 45 minutes of sleep, coming to school, and then having to go to work, take care of family. But she gave me all the support that I I needed. That's, so that's I, I'm grateful for that. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. I'm grateful for that, too. And, and so that's helped you accomplish mm-hmm where you're at. Well, we'll hear more about your practicum. I want to kind of delve into that in a minute. I want to quickly introduce uh, our guests from the Allen Neighborhood Center, uh, one of the agencies that practicum students are are placed at. Uh, And we have two guests, Denise Paquette, who is the Director of Outreach and Engagement. Thanks for joining us, Denise. Thank you, Melissa. And Joan Nelson, who is the retiring executive director, uh, who will be leaving Allen Neighborhood Center fairly shortly after <laughs> building, helping build a, a powerhouse organization that serves so many populations in our, our community. So welcome, welcome everybody. And we heard a bit, so one day about your educational path, um, we've got there's so much that we could talk about today, and one of my challenges is like where where to do we want to dig in? And I think we'll just see how the conversation goes. If we usually this is a around a 28 minute podcast. If we want to continue it into a two parter, that's what we'll do. Um, Janet, can you tell us? Just give us a real quick overview of first of all, what is a practicum? Not everybody may be familiar with that term, and and how does that work here at LCC. Okay, so uh, the term practicum is very similar to an internship, with the exception that for a practicum, it's usually designated at an associate degree level, um, where internships are usually designated at bachelor's and master levels. Um, so it is a term that is not heard very often, especially in this area, because we have so many four-year universities around us. Um, but it is the same basis. The students complete their program courses, which I'll go over in a few minutes. They have to have a 2.5 or higher grade in those. Um, and once those are completed, they can apply to practicum. And it is where we place students with a community agency based on their area of interest of the issue or population they want to work with. And they're um, set up to go into practicum at that agency under supervision, like Denise was for Constance. Um, and then they go in with a learning contract and other forms, a timesheet, et cetera. They do 10 hours a week for 16 weeks, 160 hours in fall semester, and repeat at that same agency um, with the same uh, same agency supervisor for the next spring semester, another 160, giving the student 320 hours of practicum, hands-on learning experience. That is substantial. That is a substantial uh, 
learning opportunity. And and I almost hate to ask this, but you could share with us what that means in terms of of student experience for uh, uh, pursuing uh, their career and jobs. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, yes, the program is the associate's degree, and the first half of it is to get the student through the program courses and practicum, but they also have general education courses that they have to meet. So the program is like 63 credits. It takes the students two years to go through if they go full-time, longer if they go part-time. But they gain all of the professional um, organizations' values and knowledge and competencies. When they enter into practicum, it's competency-based, based on the general competencies of the National Organization of Human Services. Giving them that hands-on experience, actually working with issues and populations, um, hopefully to be able to get letters of recommendations, to build professional rapports, networking, um, maybe even mentoring on for, um, you know, their bachelor's and master's program as well. So it is set up if a student wants to complete their associate's degree and find employment within the area, then yes, they can do that. But it's also set up for a transfer degree for, you know, their bachelor's program, and then from there, students have options of, you know, what bachelor's or master's program they want to go into, and I help them with that and and help them with that decision, but definitely hands-on experience, and it is very time-consuming for the student because not only do they have their family life and their work life and education, now we're adding 10 hours a week on for them. But it's an invaluable experience, not only Constance, but any of the practicum students will tell you of what they've learned and learned about their community. And we also teach about civic engagement um, and the policy pieces and procedures and sometimes how that whole safety network within a community is in place for individuals in need. And that's exactly what Allen Neighborhood Center exists to do is provide uh, has grown, uh, Joan, to provide a, not only a safety net, but but really imaginative opportunities for the rest of the community to engage. Tell us a little bit about Allen Neighborhood Center. We're going to go there first or next, and then and also what it means uh, for Allen Neighborhood Center to to collaborate with LCC uh, in in this this practicum program. Right, absolutely. Well, the Neighborhood Center, Allen Neighborhood Center, has been around since 1999. Wow. And we are a hub for neighborhood revitalization and for a broad range of activities that contribute to the health and well-being of uh, Eastside residents and other stakeholders. The Eastside is essentially the northeast quadrant of the city. Um. We, had, we learned the value early on of working across program areas. So um, we offer health-related programming, uh, operate a, a health enrollment site. Actually, Denise is in charge of the outreach office, which provides that service. Also uh, operate a pretty, she operates a pretty robust information and referral service, linking neighbors and others, actually, to uh, housing and food and health and utility assistance wow. uh, that they might provide. So comprehensive. Um, yeah. And then we also have a whole set of food-related programs that range from a weekly pantry 
um, where we distribute about 1,400 pounds of food every Monday um, and a couple hundred pounds of grain products. Uh, our farmer's market, which has been around since 2004, um, we operate uh, the Hunter Park Garden House, which is a hub for gardening and farming education in Hunter Park, offering tons of workshops in gardening and children's programming. Also do uh, uh, entrepreneur, have an entrepreneurial focus. We have an incubator kitchen program that provides access to entry-level food entrepreneurs uh, to a, a licensed kitchen, uh, as well as business development support. Um, and we've just completed the building of Allen Place, uh, an $11 million development offering 21 housing units, mixed income units, uh, and bringing onto the block uh, a federally qualified health center, one wow. of the Ingham Health Centers, clinics, Elfco Food Co-op, and opening an accelerator kitchen for graduates of our incubator program. I think what's significant to know about ANC um, regarding our, our partnership with LCC is that we do all these things with a fairly small staff of about 11 people. Hmm. Um, but we also, at any given time, have uh, several AmeriCorps and then 15 to 20 interns or practicum students and then about 500 volunteers a year who work in the greenhouse or volunteer at the market or the pantry or whatever Every program area is headed by uh, a program leader, Denise, in this case, for outreach and engagement. Um, and they are assisted occasionally by an AmeriCorps, but on an almost daily basis by an intern or a practicum student who really uh, are relied upon, actually, to help us provide this broad range of services that we, you know, commit to providing to the neighborhood, you know, so interns play a, you know, a critical role. I mean, we, we literally could not do what we do, could not provide the services that we provide without the time and the talent and the energy of people like Constance who uh, stay with us for nine or 10 months to, uh, to work with our neighbors and actually develop a relationship not just with us, with other people at the center, but develop ongoing relationships with our neighbors. The people that you serve. The people that we serve. So, Wendy, did you have any idea when you started that, that, you're, that you could have such an impact? Not really. I, I, <laughs> I can remember walking in the first day, and I was like, man, am I going to survive? But <laughs> thanks to Denise, she took that fear away and she helped me gain my confidence. And uh, after that, I just got connected. You got connected. So, um, Denise, when you have a new intern or practicum student come in um, and you work with the, the school so that the placement is is appropriate for what their interests are how do you, she said you helped her survive what did you do what was that 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 life raft that that you threw her well it really is trial by fire in my office a lot of the time um, so you know they come in and my talk I introduce them around try to give them as much information um, but we work in a fishbowl so I am available to my students all the time we don't have to set up a formal meeting. They know they can talk to me any time of the day. 
unless I say, wait, I have to finish this email. Um, <laughs> but pretty much they just have access to me the whole time. Um, Constance was pretty shy when she first got there. And, you know, she took over the senior program. We have, Joan didn't say it, but we have a senior program for seniors. And we meet once a week on Wednesday mornings. And we, speak, we schedule speakers. And then we support the speakers. We support the seniors. We run this program. And Constance did all of that. She just took it. And she grew it. She started making sure they got their birthday cards. Mm -hmm. And she started making sure we had birthday cake once a month when we had birthdays during that month. And she took that all on herself without asking for reimbursement or anything. Mm -hmm. And um, they're going to be so thrilled when I tell them on Wednesday that I saw her. <laughs> I bet <laughs> they miss they you. They ask me about her on a regular basis. So, you know, try to give them all the support. Give them the trainings they need. There are some very structured trainings through the state of Michigan that my interns go through um, so that they're able to help them enroll in Medicaid or food assistance programming or whatever. Um, Constance has the advantage of having children, so we had someone come in who needed to enroll in the school district, and Constance knew how to do that. I didn't have a clue. Uh, That's but great. But she was able to help, and they spoke French, which she also speaks, oh. and so she was able to help them in their own language. So oh, just how invaluable. Yeah, invaluable, yeah. absolutely. Um, that's So not only serving seniors. Now, are the, the seniors from that neighborhood, or do they come from of other neighborhoods, too, to, to enjoy this? It's primarily for east side residents, but there are several members of the senior discovery group that, that come from other parts of town and even outside of town. And the, the cool thing about the senior discovery group is that there is a speaker on a topic of interest uh, to this group every week. So it's kind of a continuing continuing education program, and we bring in speakers on you know, uh, health issues and health topics and uh, food topics and yeah. safety issues and chronic disease once in a while. They they are less fond of the presentations on chronic disease. They say they live that. They don't need to hear about it on <laughs> Wednesday morning. You know, but also on the first Wednesday of each month, the intern or practicum student will arrange to have someone come in from MSU to speak uh, about another country or a culture. It's a partnership with, with MSU, actually. You know, so um, the seniors are a pretty opinionated crowd, I think, right there. <laughs> Do you get into some good discussions with them, Sonia? Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Now, in your studies, are you particularly focusing on um, seniors? And, yes. Okay, yeah, tell us a little bit about specifically your, your interests and then how this practicum has impacted you. So um, growing up, I didn't have the chance to take care of my parents in the past. So I told Janet that I wanted to be in the um, senior, to work with the seniors in a um, senior population. Um, I feel like giving back to them is I'm giving back to my parents that I didn't have the chance to take care of. So working with the seniors make me feel like I'm taking care of my mom. I'm oh. taking care of my dad. I'm taking care of, yeah, those were the two main people that I didn't have the chance to give back the love that they gave me. Um, in my culture, if you take care of your parents, it's a blessing. 
And I feel like I didn't get that from them. So me taking care of seniors and working with the seniors helped me know that I am keeping my parents like close, even though they're not here. Yes. But I see my parents through those seniors that I'm taking care of. Oh, what a gift. What a gift. And, and, you know, clearly you have skill and you've obtained the knowledge as you've worked through your degrees, but that personal uh, connection connection and the reason and, and the passion that you have for that, that um, must have an incredibly wonderful impact on the seniors that that you that you serve, and I know I'm looking at Denise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she I wants to, to comment. We did not have the senior group meet during the pandemic, and there could not have been a better intern than Constance to come when we just started them over again. Oh. You know, so they mm-hmm. were able to come back in person and have somebody who really cared, who wasn't doing it because I asked them to do it because it needed to be done, but somebody who had a passion for helping them. Um, and I was able to see how important the group was to our seniors also, how disconnected they had felt for the last two years, even though we had done newsletters and tried to reach out in ways we could reach out. Um, yeah, it was just amazing to see how connected they got to her, especially after having not seen very many people and not seeing any of their senior friends. Oh my. For two years. It was really powerful. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm, I have this image of, of, you know, what it's like to, to water a flower that has, you know, that's parched and then it gets, that's us after the pandemic, after, well, still in it, but after our, our isolation, being able to reconnect with people and, you know, what a gift you were that drink of water for them. So one day, do you, do you see, um, what are you're working on your bachelor's degree? What uh, what kind of job do you hope to pursue? And you already you you currently work uh, at Sparrow Hospital uh, at Mary Freebed. Mary Freebed, yes. So I work at um, Sparrow Hospital as a patient care tech. Um, though I'm on a rehab unit, but we also have um, patients of like all ages, I'll say, um, seniors and then young adults. So rehab, we have patients like leave. So it's not like they stay a longer time. So interacting with people that I can talk to, young adult someone going through something and can confide in me and talk to me, especially during the pandemic when we weren't allowing um, visitor to come. We were the patient's family. We talked to them because if you're in a hospital, you want the support that you can have from your family. And at that time, because of COVID, we weren't allowing visitor in the hospital. So the, the employees we had to be like family to our patients that it was, it was a moment. Yeah. 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 That's, that's when people think about, um, healthcare professionals and, and care, just the word care being 
part of it. It's essential, but it gets um, to be cliche and, and it can lose its meaning. But what you're describing is very much exactly why that word is 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 in that, um, because it's that caring is is such an essential part of it. Um, so when you're when you're done with your bachelor's, what do you what do you think you want to do? I want to be a, a senior advocate. Okay. Yeah. Working with individuals or working with an organization or? Well, I would say working with organization because so before going to Sparrow, I work at um, Metal Lash of Lansing and some of the patients um, had like advocates that would go visit them and I felt like they wasn't given the time or they wasn't spending the time they needed to spend with some of those patients. So that also pushed me to go into the um, human services too because um, you taking care of a patient, they don't have no family. We have two patients in the room. The next two patients have family coming in every single day. And there is this other patient, no family member. But then the state having to send like an advocate or, uh, um, yeah, an advocate. And if they go to visit the patient, instead of the length of time they spent with that patient, I felt like it wasn't enough time that they were spending with that patient. And so the patient, most of the patient felt like they felt lonely. And I feel as a patient advocate, I will be there for my patients and I will spend time with them and make them feel that even though they don't have family, but I'm playing that role and I should give them the time and the support that they need. You'll do that well because I've seen it in action already. Thank you. Thank you. Well, kind of as I suspected, we have a lot to talk about and we are at the close of this episode. So I'm going to suggest to our listeners that you tune in next for part two uh, of this conversation uh, with Janet Marion, Suinde Constancier, Joan Nelson, and Denise Paquette. We're talking about LCC's human services uh, program that places students in agencies. And we're, we'll talk a little bit more about Allen Neighborhood Center and its programs and plans for the future. So thank you guests for being here and uh, we'll continue this conversation. Um, and thank you all for tuning in to listen to this episode again and other episodes of Galaxy Forum and all the LCC Connect programming. Please visit lccconnect.com. Org. Special thanks to Dedalian Lowry, who is LCC Connect's broadcast manager and technical producer, and to Andy Callis for composing our theme music. I'm Melissa Kaplan, and this is Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. Featuring the staff faculty, students, and others that help to make Lansing's Premier College what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.
The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. Students may apply for scholarships November 1st through January 31st. Learn more at lcc.edu scholarships. A single ember that escapes from a wildfire can travel over a mile, carrying a world of trouble. It can land, ignite, and destroy your home and community. You can't control where that ember will land, only what happens before it does. With simple things like clearing areas around buildings, knowing community safe zones, and being prepared for wildfires, you could keep this from turning into this. Your home is better protected from wildfire when your whole community is prepared. Visit fireadapted.org for more tips on how to get started adapting your home and community to wildfires. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Lansing Community College is proud to present We're Better Than That, an anti-bigotry campaign. Embracing diversity is a continuing process, one that requires honesty, cooperation, and meaningful conversations. At Lansing Community College, we understand our journey towards inclusion and equity begins with an examination of how we relate to one another and a pledge to engage in the work necessary for meaningful progress to facilitate conversations and initiatives that will combat racism and hate speech in our college community. The Office of Diversity and Inclusion has partnered with the Office of Police and Public Safety to create We're Better Than That a comprehensive campaign to combat institutional bias and racism. To find out more about We're Better Than That, visit lcc.edu. 